Good morning, church. Or should I say, shiver me timbers. I told you this is my Christmas. Uh, If you guys want to find Luke 19 in your Bibles, as you do that, it is my privilege to announce to you that Adventure Week is finally here. Who's excited? There we go. I know it, I know it. As the children's pastor here at Grace, I'm really excited. Like, it's really hard for me not to just grab this and just take us somewhere. Like, I guess if I say something stupid, I'll change direction or something. I don't know. But anyway, it's exciting to be here. Hopefully you guys have caught some of that excitement over the past two weeks as we've kind of revealed how we plan on uh, tying pirates to the gospel. And if you recall, we've been centering it around one of Jesus's parables, the parable of the hidden treasure from Matthew 13, 44. We're going to look at that parable one more time. It's only one verse, so it won't take us long. Remember, it says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, I've told you that the spiritual meaning behind that parable is pretty clear. Being a member of God's kingdom holds immense value. We get to experience the treasures of God's grace and forgiveness through Jesus. We receive an undeniable joy that drives us to forsake the world's counterfeit treasures for God's overflowing and everlasting life. He is so worth it. Clearly, he is worth it. And what I also said is clear is that not everyone finds this treasure. Such was the case of the individual that we examined last week. If you were here, do you remember who that was? It was the rich young ruler, right? From Luke 18. He went directly to Jesus wanting to know how to earn eternal life. But Jesus told him that it wasn't about earning. It was about trusting, trusting in his grace rather than your own abilities or resources. In fact, uh, Jesus told the rich young ruler that if he really wanted eternal life, he would have to sacrifice his idols of wealth and prestige by giving his riches away to the poor. But for the rich young ruler, that was too high of a price to pay. So he walked away sad that day. But today... We are going to look at a man who did find the treasure of salvation. And much like uh, the man in Jesus' parable, he joyfully surrendered his personal treasure in submission to the Savior. Do you know who this man is? Zacchaeus from Luke 19. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Let's read his story with me uh, in verse 1 of chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming his way. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Verse eight, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Would you pray with me? Father God, once again, we ask you to help us see Jesus for the treasure that he truly is 
give us the same bird's eye view of him that Zacchaeus had so that we don't miss him. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would hear your calling today and that we would be obedient to it. May we be led this morning to both joy and repentance as we seek to honor you. And Jesus, thank you for seeking us to save us from sin. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, treasure seekers, we're going on one final dig. Let's dig in. And let's start by making sure that we don't miss what Luke has been doing right in front of our eyes these past two chapters. So if you've got your Bibles, keep them open to Luke 18 and 19. We're going to keep going back there today. Too often, we look at the Bible in snippets, a story here, a story there, and that makes it easy for us to miss the fuller picture of what the author may be trying to do. Let's not do that today. Let's slow down and see what I think is Luke making a very clever point. And it all starts with that parable that we briefly looked at last week. We looked at another parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector from Luke 18. Do you recall that? We're going to read it again, starting in verse 9 of chapter 18. So if your Bibles are open to chapter 18, read with me. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, or adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this made-up story that Jesus told about a fictitious religious leader who is blind to his sin and a fictitious tax collector who is repentant for his sin. It's just a story that Jesus told to make a point. But then, four verses after he tells this parable, who do we meet in the flesh? The rich young ruler who is a religious leader, who is blind to his sin. And then a dozen verses go by, and who do we meet in the flesh? Zacchaeus, a tax collector who is repentant for his sin. Luke is showing you the real-life version of Jesus' parable. Do you see it? It's, It's being played out right in front of our eyes. Luke is showing us that what Jesus teaches about is not theory. It's reality. Luke also shows us how similar these two men are, except for a few key differences. They're both wealthy, yet one of them is respected while the other is hated. They're both sinners, yet one of them realizes this, the other one does not. They both meet with Jesus, yet one walks away sad while the other becomes glad. Why? Because like in Jesus' parable, one of them is humbled while the other is exalted. The stories of the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus are similar enough that it would be very easy for me to just preach the same sermon that I did last week. If we looked at the the last week's outline, right, from from last week about the rich young ruler, let's just look at those main points again and you tell me, am I talking about what the rich young ruler needs to do or what Zacchaeus has done? 
Recognize your need for a savior. Zacchaeus did that. He knew that he was a sinner. Respond to him in surrender. Zacchaeus did that. He obeyed Jesus' call. And then rely on his strength. Zacchaeus did that. He gave up his wealth and trusted in Jesus. Unlike the rich young ruler who did none of those things, Zacchaeus shows us how to properly respond to Jesus. But today, instead of focusing on how he responded and encouraging us to do likewise, I want us to see why he responded this way. Because maybe uncovering his motivation will lead us to respond in kind. So your outline today is not about steps for you to take. They're truths for you to see. Hopefully those truths will lead you to see Jesus for the valuable treasure that he is. So that first truth is Jesus is worth seeking. Look at those four verses in chapter 19 again. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fruit tree to see him. On his way to Jerusalem to be crucified, Jesus made some stops along the way. Jericho was one of those stops. And one of Jericho's residents was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. So unlike the rich young ruler, we we learn this man's name. And his name is significant because of what it means. Do you know what your name means? Like, Neil means champion. Beat that. And don't look up what your name means right now. Do that later. Um, But Zacchaeus means innocent. And that's incredibly ironic because of what he did for a living. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors in that day were not seen as innocent people. They were seen as thieves because they they were overcharging people and keeping the excess for themselves. And they were also seen as traitors because they were working for the Roman government. So just imagine your fellow countrymen siding with the occupying nation and helping them to gouge you for unjust taxes and getting rich off of it. That's who Zacchaeus is. He's not innocent. And because of this, he was hated by his peers. He would be viewed unclean. He would not be welcome in your home. He would not be welcome in the local synagogue. There is a reason that Jesus chose a tax collector to be the second person in his parable. He wanted a character that everyone would is used to seeing as the villain. And that is how Zacchaeus would have been seen, as evil, not innocent, as his namesake would suggest. So place yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes. You have everything you want, but no one to share it with. You have money, but you have no friends and you have no respect. Yours is a lonely existence. But then you hear that Jesus is coming to town. And you've heard about him and how he is known to be a friend of tax collectors and sinners, as it says in Luke chapter 7. So of course you're going to seek him out, especially if you've heard about what just happened on the outskirts of town. If your Bible is still open, look at chapter 18, starting in verse 35. It says this, as Jesus approached Jericho... A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what was happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is the same cry that the tax collector from Jesus' parable cried out, have mercy on me. 
Verse 39, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. So this little interlude, before we even get to Zacchaeus, teaches us two reasons why Jesus is worth seeking. First, he is merciful. This blind man, who, by the way, was also considered unclean, he cried out to Jesus for mercy. He didn't cry out for compassion. The word mercy is different from the word compassion. Compassion is where you feel for someone. You hurt when they hurt. It's a good quality to have. But mercy is when that compassion compels you to take action. A good example of this would be what our youth did last week. So they were confronted with the horrors of child trafficking going on in our world right now. And at first that drove them to feel compassion. But they didn't sit back with that. That compassion moved them to an act of mercy. And so now they are trying to raise $9,000 to rescue some of those children. And if you want to take part in that act of mercy, then I encourage you to visit their station in the lobby where you can give to that mission. Don't just stop at feeling. Move. The blind man asked Jesus not just to feel for him, but to move in him. And we serve a God that moves. I mentioned the Chronicles of Narnia two weeks ago. In it, there's a famous line about Aslan, the Christ figure. Mr. Beaver tells the Pevensey children, Aslan is on the move. Right? Yeah, the, the, the white witch may have Narnia in her spell, making it always winter but never Christmas. But fear not, because Aslan is on the move. Likewise, Our world is marred by sin, but we have a God that is actively doing something about it. Jesus is on the move, seeking and saving the lost. He's the one that left heaven for earth, who marched towards the cross and along the way stopped at Jericho for the express purpose to extend mercy to this blind man and to Zacchaeus. And he is able to accomplish this because he is not just merciful, he is also mighty. We covered this last week, right? God's power is incredible. What is impossible with man is possible with God, Jesus says. Because of his great power, he is able and capable of great mercy. He healed the blind. So of course Zacchaeus is going to to investigate who Jesus is. It should cause you to do the same. If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to go all out to seek him like Zacchaeus did. Again, what did he do? He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a a sycamore fig tree to see him. Did Zacchaeus look a bit silly sitting in that tree? Perhaps. But he didn't care about what others thought about him. they, They didn't like him anyway. What did he have to lose? And I don't know where you are this morning, but if you find yourself in a lonely place like Zacchaeus and you've never considered Jesus, I pray that you begin seeking him today. He is worth it. He is merciful. 
He is mighty. What do you have to lose? But Jesus is not only worth seeking, Jesus is also worth serving. During this series, I wanted to shift our understanding of of Christianity from something that we get to something that we get to be a part of. As Christians, we are a part of God's amazing kingdom. And in this kingdom, we are called to serve the king and be obedient to his call. Zacchaeus found that out when Jesus walked by that tree. In verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus knew his name. That had to be wild when Jesus walked by, looked directly at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Like if that were to happen to you, I don't know what what it would cause in you, if it would be like fear, bewilderment. I just know that in Zacchaeus, it brought about comfort. Look at how he responded in verse 6. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. This is one reason why Jesus is worth serving, because he brings us joy. That phrase, welcomed him gladly, could also be translated as welcomed him with joy. It's the same Greek word that we, that we mentioned a couple weeks ago for the, when the, about the man in the parable with the joy that he had when he found that treasure. And much like that treasure was life-changing for him in that moment, This was a life-changing moment for Zacchaeus. It's the moment that he realized that God saw value in him. The opportunity to serve Jesus in his home where no one else would dare come was such a joyous moment for Zacchaeus that he quite literally jumped at it. And so should you. We should find joy in serving the one who served us. But not everyone shared Zacchaeus' joy. In verse 7, we read, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. What causes you to mutter? Every time that word appears in the Bible, it's used to describe religious people's reactions to Jesus hanging out with sinners. It just rubbed them the wrong way. They thought Jesus shouldn't be associated with them. They're unclean. These mutterers, if that's a word, they are the kind of people that Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector about. Remember he said, for those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Thankfully, that's not who Jesus is. Serving a king who looked down on you would be brutal. That's why serving Jesus is worth it because while he does bring joy, He does not bring judgment. And I want to be careful here so that you understand what I mean. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care about sin. He he does. Above all people, Jesus knows that sin cannot be swept under the rug. But his approach with sinners during his first advent was one based in truth and grace. Yes, Jesus still confronted people's sin. But he did so in a way that made them feel valued. That's what he did with Zacchaeus. That's what he did with the woman at the well, with the woman caught in adultery, and so on. Ironically, the exception to this is when he dealt with self-righteous religious people. Jesus was ruthless to them because they condemned the people he was sent to save. 
John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's why Jesus came, to save people who were already condemned by their sins. The judgment had already been pronounced. It just hadn't been carried out yet. But make no mistake, judgment is coming. In fact, if you wanted to write the word, if it makes you feel better and you want to write the word yet next to uh, um, that phrase, he does not bring judgment in your outline. You go for it. One day, Jesus will judge the quick and the dead. And those who have not put their trust in his work on the cross as payment for their sin, they will receive their just punishment in eternity. And I know that's scary, but believers take solace. God made a way for us to be rescued from that judgment and offers us an eternal and an undeniable joy. We are the last people that should be muttering, especially when a sinner is receiving the same gift of grace that we once received. Yes, we should be emphatically and unapologetically speaking the truth, but we should also be doing so in love. So let's not be bringers of judgment. Let's be like Jesus and be bringers of joy. That joy is why he is worth serving. And that joy can also lead us to see that he's also worth our sacrifice. You take another look at Zacchaeus' sacrifice from verse 8. He says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus gladly did what the rich young ruler could not do. He parted ways with his wealth. And he did so without having been told to do it or asked to do it. He comes to this conclusion on his own. He's like the man who found the treasure in the field, who in his joy went and sold all that he had to buy that field. Zacchaeus sacrificed his wealth because Jesus offered him true fulfillment. I don't know if you saw this, but earlier this week, someone won a Powerball jackpot that was worth over a billion dollars. That's billion with a B. And when I heard that, I automatically started wondering or daydreaming about what would I do with that kind of money? And I, am I the only one? Is that my, my guilty heart? Am I the only one that did that? Um, just me, yeah. I think most of us probably believe that having money just makes life easier. But then I look at Zacchaeus, a man of great wealth, who knew what money had to offer, yet willfully turned it down when he discovered the treasure that Jesus offered him. That should say something to us. Again, Zacchaeus is not a parable. This is real life. He is a real individual who sacrificed his wealth because of the satisfaction that he found in Christ. He discovered the same secret of being content that Paul had discovered in Philippians 4, which says, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Have you learned that secret? Are you relying on the strength of Christ as your source of fulfillment, or are you trying to find satisfaction in the trappings of this world? Zacchaeus knew that true fulfillment came from Jesus. That's one of the reasons why he was worth our sacrifice. But but Jesus is also worth our sacrifice because of the forgiveness that he offers. Unlike the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus was not blind to his sin. Like we were saying earlier this morning, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, make us aware of your presence. Make us aware of our sin too. Zacchaeus saw that. He knew that he was a pirate. He knew that he was cheating people out of their money. But we see from his actions that he was repentant of that. God's grace and forgiveness 
changed him. He is now a member of the kingdom who surrenders all that he has and is to the will of the king. And how does Jesus respond in verse 9? He says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Again, do not miss what Luke is doing here. This is a bookend to the story of the rich young ruler. After the rich young ruler left sad, Jesus said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. His disciples asked, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And what do we see just a few verses later? A rich man being saved. The camel going through the eye of a needle. Luke is showing us the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that salvation is possible for anyone. Zacchaeus was a thief and a traitor to his fellow Jews who had essentially excommunicated him from the family. But through forgiveness of Christ, he was adopted into God's family. And he is declared a true son of Abraham, which if you recall from George's sermon from a few weeks ago when he was going through Galatians 3, that means he is a child of faith. And therefore, he is an heir to eternal life. And that same offer of forgiveness, adoption, and eternal life, that's available to anyone, even you. Again, it, it, it starts by recognizing your sin and repenting of it, as Zacchaeus did. And like Zacchaeus, you then surrender your life to Christ by placing your faith in him and his death on the cross to save you from your sins, not your own good deeds, not your own resources. And then like Zacchaeus, that decision will lead you to joy. That's why Jesus is worth seeking, worth serving, and worth sacrificing our lives for. He is a good king who offers an everlasting joy far better than the fleeting and fading treasures of this world. So as I begin to wrap up, I want to draw your attention to those main points in today's outlines. It is true that Jesus is worth seeking, worth serving, and worth sacrificing all that we have for. But it's also true that he feels that we are worth it. As, as much as we, or as he is our treasure, we are his treasure. To him, you are worth seeking. Jesus said in verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. To you, Jesus, uh, or to Jesus, you were worth serving. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Which leads me to this ultimate realization. To Jesus, you are worth sacrificing his life for. We read this a couple weeks ago, Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. That is why Jesus came. To seek us as his treasure. And guys, we are an unlikely treasure. When Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost... The word lost there does not mean hidden, does not mean misplaced, does not mean out of view. It means ruined. It means marred beyond repair. That's the condition we are in. Hopeless, broken, wrecked. And yet, Jesus still deems us as worth it. 
I've told this story before, but it's been a, a long while. In 1973, Fisher Price released a doll named Audrey. There is nothing special about Audrey. She did not run on batteries. She didn't have a pull string. Her eyes didn't close when you laid her down. She did have brushable hair. But other than that, she was just cloth, plastic, and stuffing. One Christmas, my parents bought this doll for my sister, Sarah. Sarah loved Audrey, uh, but she couldn't pronounce Audrey. Whenever she tried, it just came out D-Door. So Audrey became D-Door. And wherever Sarah went, D-Door tagged along. To bed, to the dinner table, to the park, to the church, to the library. Sarah brought her everywhere. So much so that D-Door developed what you might call wear and tear. Would you like to see what, yeah. That's D-Door today. In fact, my sister allowed me to borrow D-Door. This is it. It is safe to say that D-Door has seen better days, amen? It's actually amazing that we even have D-Door, um, it was thought that D- I'm going to put you back to bed. Um, it was thought that D-Door was, you know, suffered the same fate that many dolls do, which is being lost over time. But when Sarah graduated from high school, my dad gave her a present. It was D-Door. My dad kept that raggedy old doll because he knew that it meant something that his little girl, to his little girl, that it was something that she treasured. He also wrote her a poem. She's holding, the other thing she's holding in her hand is a poem about how proud he was to have watched her grow from the little girl who couldn't pronounce Audrey to the young, confident woman that she had become. Now, here's the thing. I'm confident that no one in this room would pay two cents for D-Door if they saw her at a garage sale. She is a mess. But to my little, to my, uh, uh, my, well, she's my older sister, but to Sarah, who is now fully grown, Didor is a special treasure. Like I said, she was afraid to, to, for, to loan her to me because she means so much to her. Despite being a mess, right? And what I hope you understand today is that is how Jesus sees you. No matter how marred and messed up you are, Jesus sees you as precious. You are his D-door. You are his treasure. Worth seeking, worth serving, and worth sacrificing his uh, his life for. So what is he worth to you? Will you seek out the mercy that he is so ready and able to extend to you? Will you joyfully serve him as the one who brings salvation and not condemnation? And will you sacrifice your hopes and desires to receive the fulfillment and forgiveness that he offers? I promise you, he is worth it. Would you pray with me? God, there is no end to the worth and value that is in your son, Jesus. Thank you that in your mercy, you sent him 
to seek and to save the lost. Holy Spirit, show us our sin that we may know beyond a shadow of a doubt that without Jesus, we are truly lost. We are, we are evil. We're not innocent. And Lord, if you were revealing that to someone for the first time this morning, I pray that they would respond as Zacchaeus did immediately with faith and repentance. May none of us here today be confident in our own righteousness. Let us rest in Christ's righteousness, knowing that true fulfillment comes from living in your forgiveness. May that realization that you value us bring joy to our hearts and surrender to you as our King. And Jesus, it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.